Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, August the 4th, 2020, titled Director Patty Jenkins to Depart Wonder Woman After Third Film. We're awfully glad that you're joining us today. Remember, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also get a common question on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your common question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. And our first little off the top has to do with one of my favorite subjects right now, Rob, and that is The Boys. I am so excited about The Boys Season 2. Now, just recently, they released a a scene. They released a scene from The Boys Season 2 that uh, looked great when when they rammed through the whale and all that kind of stuff. It it was all sorts of magnificent. I, I loved what we got from that scene. But today, they launched the final full trailer for The Boys Season 2. On top of a trailer, they released a couple of new posters as well. So we've got this great one here that's got Butcher front and center with everybody else around, including the baby from season one down in there. That looks pretty cool. And there's a second version that's got Homelander front and center. And there's something incredibly freaky about that image that I absolutely, absolutely love. Rob, I, you know... I think a lot of us have high expectations and sometimes high expectations can, can hurt you. This trailer surpassed everything I could possibly hope for. And they gave us more of what, okay, what's this season going to be about? Clearly Stormfront is going to be a much bigger and more major player than we first thought. She's trying to raise an army of millions. They're saying, and she's got the line of the year laser my tits. Um, which, and then by the way, that scene of Homelander with his kid, just throwing his kid off a roof. I th- look, this had everything. It had all the bonkersness, the moral dilemmas, the big questions, uh, the ridiculousness. I could not have hoped for this trailer. And it is just a trailer. Who knows how the season's going to be? I personally couldn't have hoped for this trailer to be any better than this. Rob, you had a chance to watch the trailer for the boys season two. What did you think of it? I don't think I've seen so many head explosions in one three-minute period of time since I don't remember when. Uh, I'm with you on this. I, I I loved the first season of The Boys. It was better than I could have possibly imagined. And uh, this scene, this season looks like they ratcheted up everything. Uh, it also looks really interesting from a – I mean, the one thing about The Boys, you can talk about how the over-the-top nature of it all and how it's kind of a, a parody of everything – superhero but it also is telling a legitimate story so it works as a legitimate examination of of superheroes in society even though it's it's what it is but this looks to take up the 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 storytelling to make it even more compelling and more interesting adding different layers uh believe it or not i mean there's very big questions of morality of politics of uh, it, it seems silly saying that about the boys but it's true, and it looks to be, uh, it looks to be just as compelling as before. And also, the personal stakes—you know, the idea of Butcher and his wife, and all that—I mean, I, I want to see that, that ratcheted up, that storyline. I mean, everything I loved about the show looks like they've, they've taken it to the nth degree, which is fantastic. Rob, though, when you look at 
a, a show like the season one and you look at how far and how bonkers they went with season one. Like I remember you and I were talking about it shortly after both you and I watched it for the first time. And we were talking about, we can't believe they did this and we can't believe they did that. And we, how much further can they go? Like how much more is there? How much further can this envelope be pushed? And do you think we're going to get even more bonkers than we did season one in this? Well, I mean, I, I do. I, I, I think like, look, they can always add more moral depravity and, and hell's a pop and violence and and whatever. They can do that. But what I think they've allowed themselves to do very slyly is that they're going to go into a lot murkier political waters than they've already gone into. And just seeing those, you know, the Nazi crowds of down with communism and let's let's make our fascist Aryan nation of superheroes led by Stormfront. I mean, it's not like the imagery is subtle, but I think that maybe this is the show leading up to this next election. I mean, it's really it's really interesting. And for me, you know, everyone talks about on our shows when when people write in, they say, well, I don't we don't 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 talk about politics, but speculative fiction, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, even horror there's the place where you can deal with political issues and it's in an environment where everybody will accept it because you know it's the boys so they can examine they for as much fun as we have with the the superhero tropes being subverted it's also a really smart show i mean it deals with with commercialism corporate power and malfeasance and greed now it looks like it's going to be more uh, directly political so there's a lot going on in this show and i think it that's what makes it so good is that it has so many layers to it like you can enjoy homelander just <laughs> laser uh, heat visioning people's heads off or if that's what you want to watch it's fun you know you can see the action they let a commercial plane go down and everyone dies that's cool but there's something here in this show. This show has a lot to say. And I think that's that's why the show is so great is because it has as much meat with its potatoes. And I think that's a, that's a rare thing today. And I think that's what science fiction, fantasy, and horror can do best. All right. Well, the question for you guys is, have you had a chance to see this trailer for The Boys Season 2 that's up right now. Of course, The Boys Season 2 debuts on, I believe it's September 4th is when it comes out. I am counting down the days. I cannot wait. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's go on to one more off the top, and that's this. Rob, in mid to late 2019, there was a little bit of a controversy going around because... Netflix floated the idea that they were looking at introducing on their service the ability for viewers to speed up the playback or, in some cases, slow down the playback, depending on what it is they wanted to do. Now, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. A lot of uh, actors and filmmakers came out against this. Judd Apatow said, you know, it's not it's not uh, the distributor's purview to decide how our content, how our movies and how our stuff is to be viewed. And, you know, even Aaron Paul came out against it. A number of, of people came out against this. Well, they've now actually started to implement it. Um, Netflix has now started launching on a number of their services. I believe also Android, the Netflix app on Android just introduced it. I think it's rolling out to everybody as well right now, which has re-sparked the controversy again. 
that's got a lot of people talking about this. Is this a good move? The the ability for a viewer at home to take a movie that's playing or an episode of television and speed it up. I think it goes up to 1.5 times fast or down to as low as slow as 0.5 slow if a viewer wanted to do that. And it's raised up the whole debate again. There are some people that are saying this is a great idea for accessibility because some people uh, with hearing impairments, they rely on subtitles. And sometimes subtitles go by a little bit too fast. They like to slow it down to be able to enjoy that. Whatever some people say, you know, they listen to their audio books on high speed. They want to be able to, you know, help them binge a season of something a little bit faster, whatever. But then again, on the other side, you got a lot of creators who don't like this idea at all. Rob, I, I know we talked about this a little bit, you know, last year, but now right. that it's here, it's it's now being implemented what do you think about this idea of the viewers now having the ability to speed up or slow down the content they're watching on Netflix? I, look, I think I understand on one hand, it allows people, if you want to speed it up, you can watch even more of their content in, in, a, in, in a faster way, if that's what you want. And if you're hard at hearing or things like that, slowing down the content uh, helps you concentrate more if that's something that you need. What I object to fundamentally is as a, as a person who makes films and John, you're a person who makes films, you edit, you know, you put together a movie and you spend months, if not years working on a project and, and you craft it, uh, within hopefully as perfect as it can be. And the rhythms of a movie, the rhythms of programming are, are very important. I, I mean, selling jokes might have to do with a cut or how the, the speed of a silence between lines of dialogue and what, this does is it destroys all of that. It destroys the art, the artistry that goes into programming. And I just feel it's yet another way that we just degradate the sanctity of the art form of motion pictures and television. I mean, I know that might seem like me on a high horse, but, but as somebody who spends a long time trying to get a film right, the rhythms of a film right, it just seems like this kind of technology throws that out the window. And I feel like we've already lost. An we, we have no respect for anything in our society. Nobody holds anything up to, to as exalted anymore, whether it's people, whether it's art, whether it's our beliefs. Nothing is held, held in any regard. Everything is you can mock it. You can make fun of it, tear it down, whatever. And I just feel like this is a, another way that art itself is being disrespected. Hey, you think the movie's too slow? Speed it up. Who cares what the filmmakers wanted? Who cares what the intent was? Uh, is if, if you want to watch it faster and if you don't have the attention span, yeah, speed it up. I just I don't I don't like the underlying philosophical uh, ramifications of it. And I know that has nothing to do with corporate interests and anything. And maybe it's me just being like, eh, I believe in, in art. And I, I do. And I, I just think that it's it just annoys me. I, I mean, God, get a life. Don't – why should we try and shape art? Why does everybody want everything the way they want it? You know, the world is indifferent. The universe is indifferent to your suffering. And everybody wants to make everything and get it just the way <laughs> they want it. And they don't They don't want to – like when you walk out into the world, the world does not bend to you. You know, you bend to the world. And you shouldn't be able like, I don't like the shade of the Mona Lisa's face. Now that it's digitized, let me make it a little bit more rosy. Or whatever. What's I, I mean? I just I hate that idea. I hate the idea that uh, anyway. Uh, you know what can I do? It's the future's here and deal with it. I guess. Let, 
let, let me let me say this though. I I gotta say I will never ever um use this feature. I will I will personally never ever use this feature. Um, speeding it up, slowing it down. I want to watch the. The, the movie or the show as it's meant to be enjoyed. That's how I'm going to do it. I am never going to use this feature. That said, Oh, that said, Oh, I also have no fundamental problem. If somebody else wants to do it, like for example, here, here's an example, Rob, you and I were just talking the other day about the fact that you and I, I can't remember which one specifically it is. You and I love the de-cheesed edit of the Star Wars films or right. the um, the de-specialized editions, right? Well, isn't that you and me taking a movie the way it was meant to be done and we wanted to rearrange it or have somebody else rearrange it so we can watch it and enjoy it a little bit more? Uh, here's, here's an example to me. Like, I will never play a, a movie like this sped up. I will never do that. I will never do it slowed down. The The only time maybe I could see myself doing it is if I was watching a foreign film dubbed and maybe if the dialogue's going really super fast, I don't know, maybe I'll use that feature. But for the most part, I'm never going to use this feature. But, you know, right now, the audience at home has the ability to pause the movie. Like, sure. like the filmmaker intends for us to sit down and start the movie and watch it through to its completion. But right now we have the ability to stop it. We have the ability to pause it for a half hour if we want to get up, run to McDonald's, grab some McNuggets, come home, then proceed. You and I have the ability. I can't remember if it was you or, or somebody else, Rob, that was saying how many times you've put on Avengers Endgame and just fast forwarded immediately to the portal scene. Right. right? We have the ability right now to do that. Now, what I do believe in is I believe in the artist should be able to determine where, you know, their, their stuff is being presented. If they want it streaming, if they don't want it streaming, if they want it on physical media, I, I, I agree with all that, but once the consumer has purchased it, you know, like once you can buy a pair of blue jeans and, you know, somebody put a lot of work designing those jeans and laborers put in hours putting the, the, the jeans together. But once I have it, if I want to put a rip in my, in the knee in those jeans, they're my jeans. It's not how the designer intended me to wear them, but they're my jeans now. I paid for them. So I feel like putting a hole in the knee. When, when you know, uh, if, a, if a dish gets served to me in a restaurant, steak, if I want to put salt on that steak, that's my choice to do it. Well, you know, the chef doesn't really, the chef already seasoned the steak. They don't really want you adding more seasoning. Well, that's great, but I bought the steak. It's on my table. It's mine now. And if I want to put peanut butter on this steak, I might have to try that. If I want to put peanut butter on this steak, I'm going to put peanut butter on the steak. So I guess my whole feeling on this is I have no idea why you'd ever, again, unless it's an accessibility issue and you, you need to, you rely on the subtitles and you want to slow them down. Other than that, I have no idea why anybody, Rob, would ever want to use this feature. To me, it's a silly thing, but at the same time, it's, hey, you pay for Netflix, you bought the movie, you did whatever. If if you want to watch it sped up, then God bless. You go watch it sped up if that, if that turns your crank, but I'm just not going to do it myself. I mean, look, I, I, I agree with you that people should be able to do what they want with their product. What I, what I think is pernicious maybe about this technology is ultimately 
people are going to get used to using it and watching things in fast motion. Like then you, 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 they, I think people lose the ability to then go back and say, watch an Andre Tarkovsky movie, which like, if you try to watch his science fiction film stalker, which is already hard to sit through without falling asleep. And it's a movie I love, but you know, if people are, if we have a whole generation of people that are watching things at one and a half times normal speed, are they going to are they going to destroy their own ability to sit down like we already saw people destroy their attention spans you know and 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 i think it goes further toward removing the ability that people have to to sit down and 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 lay back and enjoy something i think it fundamentally changes cuz you know in 20 years when everybody's used to yeah this movie i i just watch movies at at one one and a half times normal speed that's what i do i find regular movies just boring and I yeah, can see what it it's I can't it's, see it will that. change people. I don't I, I disagree. I, I think this is a I think now sometimes I, I make slippery slope arguments myself, but I, I think this is a slippery slope argument. I think it's I think there's this underlying assumption here that people are going to everybody's gonna start doing this. I don't know anybody that's gonna do this. I, I really don't. I think this type of capability is there. For everybody, like, listen, you have the capability with the old record players to put it on. What was it? 75? Was that the speed? 78. Yeah, 78. You had the capability to put on. Say, how many people do you know put it on 78 and listen to Michael Jackson's beat it at super high speed? Nobody did it. And and I think that's the case here. I think this is going to be a thing where it's there for some people who may want to do it. And if it's fine that you have the capability of do it, it's not forcing anybody to do it. And I honestly... I don't see this getting wide, uh, adapt, uh, 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 widely adopted. I just don't see this getting wide. Again, accessibility stuff with you know hearing impaired people wanting to slow. I I can see that sure, but other than the odd person doing it, I just don't see this being a thing. I really don't. So I that's why I don't have a problem with them offering this option to people if they so choose that they want to be able to do it. Right. So I mean, any more than having the ability, I don't think they should take away the ability to, because right now in Netflix, you have the ability to fast forward if you want. You know, we shouldn't take that away from people say, well, you can't watch the portal scene until you watch the rest of the movie too. Like, right. we don't do that. So I, I don't know. I think though, Rob, but that's because I, I mean, we've already seen the portal scene like dozens of times. Well, I, true. So, you know, but, but I mean, we still have that ability to do that. Yeah. I think that if you were right. If you turn out to be right in that everybody just starts doing it and everybody starts watching content at speed, which I do not think is going to happen. But if that did happen and if I knew that was going to happen, I think I would probably change my my mind on this because that would just hence, you know, speed up our process as a culture becoming idiocracy. But I, I really, again, I, I don't see that being a thing. I, I don't think it's something for us to worry about. I think there's going to be a few people that take advantage of this feature, but I, I really don't see it being widely adopted. But let's talk again in a year and, yeah, see, I know. Where, and see where I guess maybe I'm dead wrong about that. Question for you guys is this. What do you think about the idea of Netflix introducing this feature that people can use if they so choose? Do you think it's a real problem? Do you think it disrespects the art? Do you think hardly anybody's going to use this anyway other than those who maybe use it for accessibility issues? What do you think about this whole thing? I'm never going to use it myself, but I have no problem with other people doing it. Maybe you do. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, 
Let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campus Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiusshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campus Show. With that down... Let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Kevin Finnerty. And Kevin Finnerty writes, Hey, John and gang, as you spoke about yesterday, Umbrella Academy came out this weekend and has been highly regarded. I was going through their list of cast and crew. The Umbrella Academy developer and main writer is actually the Moon Knights showrunner. Can you establish any similarities between both the Netflix series and Moon Knight, or do you think this is an odd choice? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, one of the creators and main writers for Umbrella Academy, which I absolutely love. We talked about season two yesterday. I liked it even more than season one. Absolutely loved it. But we've got this guy by the name of Jeremy Slater. Now, Jeremy Slater not only did uh, Umbrella Academy, but he also created the... Um, um, Exorcist TV series, which I know a lot of people really, I never watched myself, but I, Rob, I think I remember you saying you liked uh, the I series. Liked it. Yep. So he also did that and he is slated to be the showrunner for the upcoming Moon Knight series. Now, he was also the screenwriter for Fantastic Four, but we know that Fox took that movie and kind of ran in a completely different direction for it. So I don't know how how much of Fantastic Four, if any of it, that ended up on the screen ended up being Jeremy's responsibility or not. But that's a that's a discussion for another time. Rob, I know you like Umbrella Academy, and I know you like The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the idea? And listen, I don't know anybody that's a bigger Moon Knight fan than you. Uh, what do you think about the guy who did Exorcist and Umbrella Academy doing Moon Knight? Do you think there's some similarities there? Do you, do you see elements in the shows that he's done already that can carry over well into Moon Knight? How do you think this is all going to work out? Well, I think if you look at both Umbrella Academy and Exorcist, they both are very smart shows. And obviously, The Exorcist was based on the book and the movie, the first book and the movie. And the fact that they, that the first season was actually a sequel to the original film and the book. And it was really creative. And while some of it worked and some of it didn't, there's a sensibility. I think there's a sensibility at work in both Umbrella Academy and The Exorcist show that uh, is a good genre sensibility. I think there's a real intelligence there. And I think the off-kilter sensibility that you see in both Umbrella Academy and Exorcist is exactly what a Moon Knight series needs. Now, I would assume, like I fell in love with Moon Knight when he was a very Batman-esque character. And over the last decade and a half, he's become a very different character. The idea that Moon Knight's multiple person, he literally is a multiple, instead of having multiple identities, his mind was fractured and he has multiple personalities. And they've done a lot of interesting things with it. I think a combination of the old Moon Knight and then the new incarnation of Moon Knight is perfect for Slater's sensibility. I think whatever it's going to be, it's going to be worth watching because Umbrella Academy is terrific. I like both seasons of The Exorcist. So this is exciting to me. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. Rob, when you're talking about Moon Knight, because this is something, you know, again, they announced Moon Knight. I know you were very excited at D23, what seems like a lifetime ago now. A year ago. 
Yeah, it, it, it was forever ago. We've clearly heard nothing about any movement on it. Um, and obviously there are extenuating circumstances going on, but we still hear about them making progress on Miss Marvel. We hear things being talked about, about scripts being done for uh, She-Hulk. We see obviously the shows that were already in development, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, uh, WandaVision and so forth. I know we were all surprised when they announced Moon Knight. Do you have any worries at this point that about whether Moon Knight is still actually going to happen? I, I mean, because it, it does seem to be the one show that they announced that I have heard extremely little about. Is this just a coronavirus repercussion or do you worry that this thing's even going to get made still? No, I think it's going to get made. I, I think, yeah, I think the coronavirus outbreak has pushed everything back. Um, I think, you know, with Marvel, we know they 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 have their movies and shows in development for a very long time. And they, they game this stuff out. They're way ahead of us. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if if the season's already been broken. You know, they've already they've already they know what they're going to make. And we just we just don't know what that is yet. But, um, yeah, I think they're absolutely going to make a Moon Knight show. I think people want it. I think Kevin Feige wants it. And I think we're going to get it. It's just that everything's been pushed back. What a year. Hmm. So we, I, I wouldn't expect to hear anything. I mean, we're still waiting for WandaVision. We're waiting for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I mean, who knows when we're going to get those? And uh, who knows? Is Black Widow been redated yet? Do we know when Eternals is coming? Yeah, I, I mean, as far as I know, they're still saying November and December for those two. But who knows? Well, I mean, I, I still think what you said yesterday is going to be very, very uh, telling for us is going what 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 really does happen with Tenet? What really does happen with Tenet? Because if Tenet gets bumped off that September third date again, I think we will very quickly hear about uh, uh, Black Widow and Eternals both getting bumped. If it makes its thing, then then it's still up in the air. We'll have to wait and see. And Question Wonder Woman eighty four. Yeah, and Wonder that's another one. A question is for you guys. What are you thinking about this move? With Moon Knight, what do you think about the guy who does Umbrella Academy and the Exorcist series going over to do that? Do you think that's a good fit? Do you like the guy, but maybe don't see that as being such a good fit? Do you think the show's still going to happen at all? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our second and final main topic today. And our second and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Reed Hansen. And Reed Hansen writes into us, Hey, John and Rob, I read an interview with Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins saying that the third Wonder Woman film will be her last one. Could this mean that Warner Brothers isn't planning on any more after the third one or that Jenkins is just tired of the franchise? Do you think this is a mistake for her to leave such a successful franchise? Do you think it's a mistake for Warner Brothers to allow her to go? Do you think future success will change her mind and she'll stay on? Thanks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Reed. And yes, you know, it, unsurprisingly, you know, Patty Jenkins, who is a hell of a director, she came in and everybody forgets now that with, before Wonder Woman came out, look, today, things with the DCU don't still look great right now, but they look a lot better than they did a while ago. But when Wonder Woman came out, the DCU was really reeling. You know what I mean? Uh, now, I happen to be one of those fools that I liked every DCEU movie that came out to that point, but there was a lot of people who didn't and all that kind of stuff. And Patty Jenkins came in 
world-class director, and she made just a hell of a, a movie and what she was able to accomplish with Wonder Woman. But it's sounding like she's going to do one more after Wonder Woman 84, and she's done. This is what she said in an interview. Patty Jenkins says, it's exciting for me to show Wonder Woman at the peak of her strength. But it's also very important that she fights an internal struggle. She is a goddess and tries to help humanity. She is not only somebody who fights evil, she tries to show bad people how to improve. It's an interesting dilemma. The next one, the one after Wonder Woman 84, the next one is probably my last Wonder Woman movie. So I have to put everything I want to show there. We have to think carefully. So that, of course, comes to us from Patty Jenkins. Is this a mistake? for her to walk away from something like this. She's never had, even though she's, you know, her films have won Oscars and things like that. She has never had anything in her career on the success level. Like she had with the first wonder woman movie, few directors who have the privilege of doing a comic book movie will ever have a movie as successful as the comic book properties they do. And she's had a lot of success there. Do I think it's a mistake for her to walk away? No, I don't. I really don't. Nor do I believe it would be a mistake for Warner Brothers to let her walk away. I think it would be the right thing for Warner Brothers to let her walk away. And I know there are a bunch of people who don't agree with this philosophy, and that's fine. But this is really how I feel about this. I feel storytellers who are creative machines, storytellers like Patty Jenkins, I believe creativity can start to atrophy. I believe creativity can start to rust when it's stagnant and kept in one place for too long. There are exceptions to that. There absolutely are. You and I can both point to a few exceptions, but I think for the most part, for creative geniuses and creative machines like a Patty Jenkins, I think for her own sharpness, her own creativity, I think she needs to move away from Wonder Woman at some point and do other things. And by the way, as an audience member, I think you and I will benefit greatly from seeing, you know, the 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 talent of Patty Jenkins directing other films other than this shit, just this. I think one of the great examples of this, Rob, I've pointed this one out a lot, is Christopher Nolan. You know, Christopher Nolan, when he was doing Batman, he could have just focused on Batman, but he didn't. He did a Batman movie, and then he went and did, you know, The Prestige. Then he did another Batman movie, then he went and did Inception. Then he did another Batman. So he kept, he made sure he was constantly moving away from the one property to keep those things sharp. And from Warner Brothers' points of view, as much as I love Patty Jenkins, I think at some point in a franchise, it behooves it to get a fresh set of eyes, you know, a new approach, a new director in the director's chair to bring something fresh and different to it. I believe that'll be the true for Guardians of the Galaxy after part three is done. I, I think if they do more Guardians of the Galaxy after that, I don't think James Gunn's going to be directing it. I think James Gunn is going to do other things to stoke his creativity. I think Warner Brothers or Disney will want a new director in the chair at that point uh, to do it. So honestly, I think somebody like Patty Jenkins, who is accustomed to making movies that like, you know, when you go back to Monster, <laughs> she won Charlie Theron an Academy Award for that. I think she wants to do like Oscar kind of movies as well. And she's going to take advantage of the popularity and success she's had with Wonder Woman. And she's going to parlay that into basically being in a position where she can now call her shot. You know, after winning an Academy Academy Awards, and getting awards buzz for monsters, she had a real struggle because she's a female director in this business, getting any other job. Now. She puts out a billion, I'm not saying Wonder Woman 84 will make a billion dollars, but Rob, if she's able to put out a billion dollar Wonder Woman movie 
and then follow it up with another 800, 900, billion dollar film, whatever, she's going to be in a position for a certain period of time where she gets to call her shot. She's going to be fielding offers from every studio. She's going to be able to take whatever pet project she has that maybe never would have gotten greenlit before. And she's now going to be able to take a pet project like that to a Paramount or Warner Brothers or whoever and say, I'd really like to get this movie made. And they're going to go, you got it. And she needs to take advantage of that opportunity. So I'm not surprised to hear her say, yes, third film and I'm done. And I, not only am I not surprised to hear it, I think it's a good move. Rob, you hear about this. What do you make of this? Well, I agree with everything that you've said. I mean, why would a director, once you've done basically a trilogy of movies, which is, which if you think about it from a storytelling standpoint, it's act one, act two, and act three, of a, if that's the way you're looking at it, you, what more do you have to say? I mean, I think doing three movies about the same character is pretty much, you know, after that, you're getting diminishing returns unless you have something that's really amazing. You want these filmmakers, what... What they're buying for themselves is the clout to go make other movies. And in the case of think about the world that we live in because of Christopher Nolan, he's a perfect example, though, the idea of one for them, one for me. He was able to parlay the success he had and turn himself into a, almost a bulletproof powerhouse where, I mean, who else could have got Dunkirk made by Warner Brothers? Uh, a, 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 a British story, a World War II story. What do Americans care about Dunkirk? And the movie did really well, you know, and, and it did really well because Christopher Nolan is a very gifted filmmaker. And isn't the world a better a, a better off that Christopher Nolan didn't make Batman movies for the rest of his life, that he did make The Prestige and Interstellar and Dunkirk. And now we've, we're getting Tenet. I mean, you, these filmmakers, you, you, you only have a finite amount of films you get to make. When you buy yourself the credibility of directing studio tentpoles that make a billion dollars, that is the, that. That is the power in Hollywood for a creative person to have a movie that makes that much money that buys you three more movies to make. And two of them can be failures. Even three could be, um, you know, uh, Denis Villeneuve. I mean, let's hope let's hope Dune is, is a great success because Blade Runner 2049, as much as I love it, it's amazing that movie got made. Blade Runner wasn't a hit in the first place. You know, and 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 it's it's incredible when these directors are using the leverage I think, and by the way, there's been no Wonder Woman 3 announced yet, so let's assume we get it, but maybe Patty Jenkins wants to make something in between the two of them. I want to see what she can do. Like you said, it would be terrible to see these, these directors. I mean, on the planet Earth, there's maybe 25 people that are alive today that studios would let make $100 million, $200 million tentpole. Maybe not even 25. On the entirety of the planet Earth. So when you're one of those people... You, you have the ability to get whatever you want done. I want to know what Patty Jenkins, with, with this new credibility, what if she could make anything she wants, what would she make? And it would enrich our lives more than another Wonder Woman movie, probably. You know, we live in a post-kick-ass world where we're getting the boys and we're getting Deadpool. I don't know now if kick-ass, I think kick-ass started us down a road that we're on that we're loving. Yeah, I don't it really know did. I, I, I don't know if Kick-Ass has already been too eclipsed. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think a Kick-Ass 3 might be redundant, unless the story's great. The right. story's great, sure. But I think what Kick-Ass did for us made Deadpool and made the boys possible. 
Yeah, it did lay a lot of groundwork. I, I mean, I didn't like Kick-Ass 2 nearly as much, and its box no. office severely dropped. So I, I think the chances are probably probably pretty slim. Um, okay, let's move on. Next one up comes to us from uh, Guillaume Labelle, who writes, Good day, Gio. Yesterday, I watched A Star is Born for the first time, and I really liked the film, but I thought that it was maybe 20 minutes too long. However, that end scene uh, with I'll Never Love Again was phenomenal. I was ugly crying, which is pretty rare. Yeah, I was very impressed with A Star is Born, especially being Bradley Cooper's first directorial movie. Here's the funny thing. It was brilliantly done, but you could tell in its brilliance that it was being directed by a first-time director. There are entire scenes in that movie that did not need to be there. Like that wouldn't have interrupted, didn't contribute to the movie, wouldn't have interrupted the story flow. There are a number of those scenes throughout the movie. But, you know, directors always talk about it's difficult to cut out a scene that you've worked so hard to put into the movie. And there were a few little things like that. So I agree. It, it was longer than it needed to be, but only because I thought there were a number of scenes that were like, okay, there's some interesting things happening in the scene, but it's not contributing to the overall story or film. It could have been cut out very easily. And I think a more experienced Bradley Cooper director in the future will make those cuts but again it, it is i think it ended up being in my top five or top six favorite movies of the year that year and it's totally not my kind of film but what bradley cooper did there was absolutely amazing rob tari writes john and rob you can choose to find uh find out you can choose to find out the truth of only one of these options aliens exists or ghosts are real what do you choose well for me that's easy rob i go ghosts are real because i have no doubt there are two things I have no doubt about. No doubt, number one, I have no doubt that somewhere in the infinite vastness of space, there is other life out there. I also have no doubt that it's never visited Earth. But I do believe that. So I, I already assume that there's alien life out there somewhere. But if I if I could one thing go surreal, that would be kind of fun. Rob, which one would you pick? Alien life. Alien life? You yeah. like to see it tangibly? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would like to I would like to see, especially if they're technologically advanced and we can communicate with them. I mean, the thing is, I don't people who've lived their lives and then died. What what do they have? What 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 insight do they have to offer us? They're dead. But <laughs> They're aliens, dead. aliens are, I, I, I think, technologically, I, I would philosophically like if we met an alien race, do they have a do they have a, a, a do they have religion? Do they believe in a savior? Like and, and what would they have to say about developing our society and make it better? I, I, I think it'd be very interesting and maybe it's totally different. I, I just I think ghosts are like, first of all, if you're dead and you're a ghost and you're lingering in this world, what does that say about you? Like, move on. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you've got you've got serious you got you got issues. If you're if you're you can go to the afterlife and have a good time. No, you're hanging around here haunting the earth. You're sad and pathetic. I, I, I'm not a fan of ghosts, John. I, I think <laughs> they need therapy. All they, of them. they have hard times letting go. Hard time letting go. All right, Dan Ketchum writes, even though I'm really looking forward to the series, it's still hard to imagine someone else playing Galadriel. I'm also worried they will uh, Game of Thrones it with nudity, incest, and all the rest. I don't want to see Galadriel banging anybody. Well, look, I'll, I'll say this. I don't think there's Why any not? reason. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to assume that they would do that. There's no reason to assume that. This isn't HBO. This is Amazon Prime. There's, there's nothing there to suggest that they would do that. I would also suggest this. If they did it, and if it's in service to the story, 
then I'm okay with it. But again, I, I don't see any reason. I, I can see what you're saying, Dan, but I don't think there's any reason there for us to actually have that concern at this point. I've seen no indication about that. All right, Jay Meister 25 writes, uh, you honestly can't tell the story of the Second Age without Sauron. He's too critical to the story of Numenor. If they do it properly, we will get to see Sauron do some really messed up stuff. This is good news. I would disagree with that. And here's why I disagree with that. Because you could say... You know, you're telling a story today. Well, you can't tell the story of today without involving, you know, the political env environment. Yes, you can. There's a million stories you can tell without involving all the other stuff. It's an entire world. If they decided to tell a smaller scale story within the world of Lord of the Rings, you could do it and have it avoid Sauron if you wanted to. I'm not saying that's the best idea. I'm certainly not saying that's what they're doing. I'm just saying I think you could do that. Rob, what do you think? Or, or is it impossible to do without Sauron in the Second Age? Well, I mean, the thing is, Sauron was a was a as a different incarnation of he hadn't really become Sauron yet or he becomes Sauron in the second age. He's a human being and there's all kinds of political machinations that he he gets up to. There's a lot of shenanigans happening. And and the second age of Middle Earth is very Game of Thrones esque. Now, I don't think we need nudity and, and bad language in that because that's not really what Tolkien is. But. I think having Sauron as a character, because he is a character. I mean, he's a major player in the political structure of Middle Earth, and even as a human being, he causes all kinds of strife between between elves and between uh, dwarves and men. The world of men. I mean, it's great stuff. As a matter of fact, the Second Age of Middle Earth has a lot of similarities to Game of Thrones. Really, um, it's good stuff. So I think. Sauron is absolutely going to be a major player in the show. It has to be. He has to be. Uh, okay, let's move on here. Next up uh, comes to us from uh, Madhu Vatten, who writes, The corona situation here in Norway is very good. To me and my friends can finally start our D&D campaign. That's great. Uh, this will be our first time, so probably won't go very smoothly. However, I'm sure it will be fun. I have always wanted to try it, and I cannot wait. I love D&D. One of the unfortunate things right now lately is I haven't been able to play in our D&D group. Um, we started playing over Zoom when the pandemic first hit, but I then moved, um, I then moved off of it. And I, I had to stop playing because I've been so busy with my documentary. So I had to move away from it. And I haven't been able to play in, in a couple of months. And I miss it desperately. But I'm really glad that you guys in your group um, are able to get into it and play it. And I hope you guys have a lot of fun doing it. All right. Let's move on here. Next one up. Uh, Jay uh, Onrate writes, so the NHL season restarted. Yes, it did. Uh, do you think they'll be able to pull it off? Yes, I do. Because I think they're doing it smartly like the NBA is, not like the way baseball's trying to do it. Uh, do you think my friend Sergei uh, Bobrovsky can lead the Panthers to the actual playoffs? I think Bobrovsky can be a bit reckless and a loose cannon at times. Hashtag Jay and Dan on TSN. I... Look, I, I, look, when you talk about reckless goaltenders, I don't really think so. When you talk about reckless and who are really kind of cowboys in the goalie net, I don't think he compares to some of the real cowboys we've had in, in, in net mining gold. Like you go back to the Philadelphia Flyers NHL finals MVP, Ron Hextall. That dude was reckless. Right. That dude was a loose cannon. That dude was a cowboy. You go to the five time Stanley Cup champion winning goaltender Billy Smith from the New York Islanders. That dude was a cowboy. That guy was reckless in that. You go to maybe even arguably the greatest goaltender of all time in Dominic Hoshik. 
right? That dude, I, I don't really, Sergey will, will take some risks here. I don't think he's all the bad. Now, here's the thing. Sergey has not had the best year. His goals against average is up like significantly over his career average. His save percentage is down, not significantly, but it is down over his career. He's not had his best season so far, so I'm not quite sure what he's going to be able to do at this point, but we'll find out. All right, Peacock writes, hey, John, as a frequent Vegas goer, do you feel safe going to Vegas right now? I have plans to go in a couple of weeks and still debating if I should cancel or not. Listen, I love going to Vegas. Ann and I will go six, seven, eight times a year. It's just like a four-hour drive from us. It's, it's, it's a, not a big deal. I love going to Vegas. Vegas is reopened. I have no plans on going right now. I, I just do not trust that people are going to be intelligent. I just don't trust that people aren't going to be stupid there. And so um, I, I am, for one, myself. It's not like going into a controlled environment like a restaurant or a movie theater. Vegas is just, to, to, for me, I hey, if you want to go, you go. I'm not poo-pooing on you. I'm not yucking on your yum. But if you're asking me personally, I am, although I love going to Vegas, I am going to be uh, skipping going to Vegas I, uh, for now. At least for now, I'm I'm not, I am making no plans on going anytime soon. Call me Ishmael writes, hey, John, I want to become a Patreon member, but I don't like monthly payments. So I was wondering if there's any way I can pay yearly, stay safe and bring on the filthy. I don't think Patreon, first of all, thank you for even considering being a Patreon supporter. I appreciate that very much. I don't think Patreon offers that because number one, I think one of the things is they want to protect people because I think you should have the ability to Look, as much as it's great that you can come and support a channel if you want, I think you should have the ability and the opportunity, if you ever feel you need to, to pull your support. That sounds crazy to say as a creator, but I think people who support your channel should have the easy availability to pull the support at any time. And if you drop like your full support for an entire year, well, then you're kind of screwed. You can't do that. While I appreciate the sentiment very, very much, believe me, I do. Um, I think people should be able and have the the option and choice to pull their support anytime. And so I kind of like the fact that they stick it to monthly that way. And, and a special thank you to all you guys who are. And thank you, Call Me Ishmael, for even considering that as an option. I really appreciate that you would do that, man. All right. Tristan Riera, uh, speaking of Patreon, a Patreon supporter writes, hey, John. As Zack Snyder brought back Junkie XL to compose the scores, do you think they'll hear uh, themes from Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman in the Snyder Cut? I felt these themes were missing in the in the theatrical, and I feel like it's a movie outside of the DCU. I completely disagree. I thought Justice League felt very, very much a part of the DCU. Um, that was one of two. Two of two. Are you as sensitive to movie soundtracks as I am? I feel the soundtrack holds a part of the identity of the movie. No, I don't. I'm not as sensitive to it. I Most of the times for me, other than like something that's becomes a theme, I usually allow the scores to do what they're meant to do, kind of blend into the movie to the point that, look, I often say that a great soundtrack is like a great piece of visual effects. The best ones are the ones you often don't even notice because they just become a part of the DNA of the scene and they're there and it doesn't stand out to you that much. So for me, not as much. Rob, what about you? Do you find yourself really paying attention a lot to the soundtrack and score as you're watching a movie? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 I do. I mean, a score can be very transportive and, and when, it, when something is really well scored, it, 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 it you know, it, it, it works in tandem with picture. It's wonderful. I mean, it's like, it's like a great souffle, you know, you need both. Uh, and, and I, I, as somebody who's collected film scores since I was a kid, I, I love mu movie music. Um, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of movie music that we get today is really is is that great? And I, I, 
I would like to hear more themes from Man of Steel, but it's a different composer. You know, Junkie XL is not Hans Zimmer. And so, uh, you know, maybe it's its own thing. I, I, I don't know what I don't know how it's going to work out. I, I, I love Junkie XL. I love the score for Mad Max Fury Road. Loved it. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing what he comes up with for uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Canada Rocks. It does indeed, writes, I agree on Bella Academy Season 2 was better than Season 1. The best part was the new character, Lila. I loved her. I loved her character already, but boy, oh boy, that last episode made her one of my favorite characters ever. I, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say, but look, I thought she was a very welcome addition to the show. And Rob, I know you're only getting, you're only scratching the surface on Lila right now, but I, I thought she was a very, very good addition to the show. I, I would fall short of saying like she's one of my favorite characters ever, even with the greatness of the final episode and all that kind of stuff. But she was absolutely, you know, sometimes they bring in new characters to show and they just don't fit. I thought Lila fit in perfectly great. All right. Devante Brown writes. Hey, John, and maybe Rob, did you see the article Variety put out of ways to use HBO Max on the on the Fire TV and Roku? The side loading of the app on Fire TV will probably be the most popular as that one spread first. Uh, get what you pay for while being rebellious, I guess. Yeah, you know, somebody was bringing it up to me the other day, Rob. They said, you know, John, you must not really want... Um, HBO Max all that much if you allow the fact that you'd have to go and load up your PlayStation or go through a third-party app to do it. And I said, listen, if you want me to pay you money every month, like if if I as a, as a potential consumer am not important enough to you as a service provider to give me the easiest, most convenient, and most pleasant experience using your service possible, if I'm not important enough to you to make sure I have that easy, convenient, and pleasant experience using your service, why should I pay you money every month for your service? HBO Max wants me as a, as a customer. I would like to be an HBO Max customer. Then put it on the platforms that 70% of streamers use, Roku or Amazon Fire. So yeah, there are, there are people are coming out with these jailbreak ideas and doing that. I would just be too afraid of bricking it, but I'll have to look into it. Have you seen any of these articles, Rob? And, and what do you think about that? I, I have not. I mean, I'm with you. Like I, look, workarounds are fine, but like I'd rather have, a stable software environment that I know if I'm going to go use it, it's going to work. And, and I, I really like Amazon fire sticks, the fire. I, I I've had a good experience with that, really enjoying that. So I have, I have nothing but good things to say. So, you know, I'd like to continue to do that. Right. And, and it, it, HBO Max will wind up on there. It will. They'll, they'll be, yeah. they'll get it figured out. I just wish they would get a move on with it. All right. ZOMG ruler rights. I actually like Man of the Year. Oh, the Robin Williams film? Uh, only film in theater I saw with my late friend. See, I, I love that movies give us those emotional anchor points. I like how realistic it was with the chances for a third party slash independent U.S. candidate outside of the glitch. What do you think of the Robin Williams film and why was it so reviled? I, I don't remember it being reviled. I think it was pretty inconsequential, though. You know, there. look, as great as Robin Williams was, there was also a period of time where a lot of the movies he put out were not necessarily all that great. I thought I thought uh, Man of the Year was one of those. You know, it was kind of a movie inadvertently one way or the other, Rob. I always thought it was a movie that was kind of about Jon Stewart. That's what it felt like at the time. It was a movie about Jon Stewart, really. But 
I, I got to admit, while the premise is a cool idea, you know, this comedian who uh, by fluke as a gag runs for president and becomes president. I, I actually didn't. It's a neat idea for a movie. I personally didn't enjoy it that much. Rob, did, did you ever see Man of the Year? And what are your thoughts? I did. On it? I, it was OK. I, I didn't love it. You know, I think for you, like you, I, it just didn't. I don't think it lived up to its premise as as well as it could have. So uh, I like, you know, like the movie. You ever see the movie Dave? Where, oh, of course, where, with uh, with uh, the guy from um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein and yeah. uh, Sigourney Weaver, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I love Dave. I yeah. love that movie. I, I I thought Man of the Year needed a little bit more Dave in it. Yeah, yeah probably a little bit more Dave. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of Kevin Klein, make sure you watch A Fish Called Wanda, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, uh, dude, so good. So and he is even, so good. Even in Omar, it. even Omar ninety four in the chat is saying, "I love Dave." That's right, because Dave is great. Dave, you got to see Dave. Is Dave great. is so freaking good. All right, uh, let's move on here. Um, next one up. That was UMG ruler Sean Shackelford writes, "Who will win the streaming wars? I think Netflix will remain on top with Disney and Hulu as a close second. HBO Max maybe will hang in third if they allow Roku. Everything else will fail. Um, I I don't believe everything else will fail, but I do believe you're going to see things shake out. I think you're going to see a proliferation of these streaming services. It'll be the wild wild west for a while, and then you'll see it start to boil down a little bit." Honestly, I see HBO Max and Disney Plus coming out on top. I, I I really do. I think Netflix will still be there. Wow. But I I think long term, and we're talking more than just in the next six months. We're talking long, like over the next three years. I really do think we're going to see, and I wouldn't put money on this. Don't get me wrong, but I I think we're going to see HBO Max, Disney Plus. I think we're going to see it surpass Netflix. Um, at some point, not immediately, Rob, what, I don't know. What do you think about that? You know, I think Netflix has something going for it that Disney plus and HBO max don't, and that's its international programming. And mm. I, I think, you know, Netflix has so much international programming and they're just, they're adding to it all the time. And, and I think Netflix and, and one of the things that people don't, don't recognize enough is they're going in, you know, they're in India, they're all over the world. And they keep adding programs from all over the world, and it truly is a global platform. Whereas I think that HBO Max and, and certainly Disney Plus are very uh, U.S. centric so far, and I'm sure they will add more international programming. But Netflix is way ahead of them when it comes to international programming, and I think that's that's the key to global dominance. All right, that's a good point. Next up, Alexander Wilson writes. If baseball, here we go again, all these crybabies about baseball. If baseball isn't a sport and you don't have to be an elite athlete, uh, then why, you probably meant then, then why didn't Michael Jordan make uh, a major league baseball team? You're, you're proving my point. Uh, Russell Wilson and Tim Tebow played in the minors and didn't make the major league team. So the Blue Jays weren't champions in the 90s. What does that have to do with anything? Um, getting to your, you just proved my point, Alexander. You don't need to be an elite level athlete to be a elite level baseball player. Fernando Valenzuela played that. So being an elite level athlete coming to baseball doesn't mean you're going to be good at it, right? Just like, I think baseball players are probably better athletes than curlers, but I guarantee you a pro baseball player can't go and curl worth crap. Um, so it's a different thing. So you just proved my point. You don't need to be an elite level athlete in order to play baseball. 
That was my point, and your examples just kind of prove that point. You don't need to agree with me. I'm just saying that's you, what you're saying is exactly what I was saying. You don't need to be an elite-level athlete. So just because you get an elite-level athlete coming to play baseball, listen, elite-level athlete uh, isn't going to necessarily be great at darts. Darts takes a very specific, unique, and extreme skill in order to play it right, but you don't have to be an elite-level athlete to play darts. But just because you're an elite-level athlete doesn't mean you're going to be good at darts. And then bowling, poker, curling, uh, golf. I don't consider golf to be elite-level athletes either. It's a game. It's a game of incredible skill that I do not have. But, uh, yeah, that's just the way I see it. Uh, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying you keep asking me the same question. And I'm just going to tell you the same thing. It is what it is. Uh, Jesse writes, I have to admit, John, hearing you rant about ads and theaters again brought back some feelings, some feeling of normalcy to me. Back when the worst things to happen to movie theaters were the ads. Yeah, right? Because, you know, it came up again the other day, Rob, the whole idea about how much it infuriates. First of all, I hate <laughs> I love movie trailers. I'm doing a documentary on movie trailers. I love movie trailers. I hate that a show showtime says it starts at seven and you're still sitting there at seven thirty as the trailers are wrapping up. I especially hate more than that commercials playing before movies. Now oh. I'm not talking about if the showtime is seven o'clock and I'm in there at six forty five. If you're playing commercials on your screen before the scheduled showtime of the movie, I'm fine with that. Whatever. But oh my God, it used to be such a problem. So many theaters used to play like commercials after yeah. the show. That I hated. But yeah, Rob, remember back when that was our biggest problem with movie theaters? Not them not even opening their doors. Those were the days, John, the <laughs> olden oh, days. The good dark problems. times or the, the golden times before the empire. Those are good problems to have, Jesse. Those are good problems to have. Thanks for writing in, man. Jerome Smith writes, in response to a topic you would like to talk about, but you don't get that much time, is MMA. It's it's true. I love MMA, and I know you talk about it from time to time when someone sends in a comment. I wish you started doing an MMA show, but I know you're a busy man. Listen, I for the longest time, I've wanted to do an MMA show. Um, I am I am a very passionate MMA uh, guy. I, I love it dearly. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was working with Complex, they even sent some execs down to talk to me about the possibility of doing an MMA show. And they had some people connected with the UFC that was interested in it. And I know me and Dennis Zen talked for a long time about he and I would love to do an MMA show. But the reality is I just don't have time. I, I, I would love to do any kind of sports show, I really would, but I just don't have time. I don't have any time at all in the world to do it, which is unfortunate, but that's why I get a kick out of it once in a while when people send in a topic about MMA because it gives me an excuse to talk about it for a minute. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. Uh, Orange Hand writes, hey, John, one of two. You say it's all subjective, but you also say context is everything. So a viewer once told you that they found the wires dialogue unrealistic. True. I remember that. Uh, but here's my issue. Dave Simmon lives in Baltimore. He knows how the police, gangs, etc. talk, which is why the show has been praised for its realism. If a creator has done their research uh, to create an authentic representation of a specific time and place, is someone's claim that it's unrealistic really a valid criticism given the context? Yes, it is still completely a valid criticism, but you have to understand the, crit the criticism itself is subjective, right? So you could... Let's take, for example, Rob, one of the examples I like to go to a lot is uh, Big Bang Theory. Very, very popular show. A lot of people love it. However, everything is subjective. And when <laughs> I tried watching the show, 
<laughs> I found it to be very disingenuous. Like I, it annoyed me that I like because my first response to Big Bang Theory was this is a show about geek culture being written by people who clearly don't understand geek culture. Yep. And then I would get all these people who would write to me and say, well, uh, John, you have no idea. What you're talking. This, this is this guy's credentials and this guy's credentials. I said, that's fine. That's I'm not arguing that. I'm simply saying for me as a viewer, as I watched it, the way it hit me subjectively was this feels like somebody trying to talk about geek culture who doesn't actually understand or know anything about geek culture. And for a lot of other people, it did hit them as being authentic and and maybe real to them. and that's great but it's all subjective reactions to it so i i'm not surprised yeah there's some people who watch the wire like me and found it to feel very realistic but there's going to be other people who watch it and feel differently i don't know rob how would you respond to that i feel exactly the same way you do i mean look the i i've never liked big bang theory i thought it was pandering and i thought it was it it, it just reinforced every ridiculous stereotype you've ever heard and having lived a geek life, uh, I can tell you that none of it was like Big Bang Theory. I mean, Big <laughs> Bang Theory was like just a collection of old stereotypes put together. And like it worked. I liked the performers who were doing it. But I'm like, God, it seems like this was made in 1986. You know, it's it, it, it mm. didn't it didn't take in the, the 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 evolution of the geek culture that's gone on in 25 years. But. Hey, it's a hugely successful show. Everybody got filthy rich off it, so more power to them. But I felt like what, what, The Wire is one of my favorite TV shows of all time, and I thought it feel it felt very authentic. Um, and you know, the people that worked on it, there's a lot of people that were actually they hired people from the streets of Baltimore. They you know they found locals to become characters in the in the show. So there was an authenticity there that goes way above and beyond what most shows get. So, but I yeah. guess it is subjective. And like neither you or I are saying that if you did watch that show and it did, if you watch Big Bang Theory and it did hit you as feeling authentic, that's our point. It's, it's subjective. If it worked, we're not telling you it shouldn't have worked for you. Not at all. We're just right. saying that, you know, for us and our purely subjective opinions, it hit us as very, being very inauthentic. But it hit others as being authentic, and it's all good. That's the great thing about entertainment. All right, next one up. Ethan Hahn writes, Hi, John. Just wanted to say I've been watching you since the AMC days. Thank you so much. And you've inspired me to start my own movie podcast. That is awesome. I'm currently editing episode three. People are loving it. Uh, please keep up the great work, and may the force be with you, my friend. Listen, I'm always trying to encourage people. Uh, flex, use your creative muscles. And, and I always love hearing that film fans are getting more involved in the film fan community by doing a blog, an Instagram page, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever. You don't need to have a thousand people reading or watching it. It just getting out there and adding your voice to the conversation, I think is a great thing. So good on you, Ethan, for doing that. That's great, man. All right. Amin writes, Something I've realized uh, uh, is that one positive thing coming from COVID in terms of the theaters is now there won't be any 3D showings for a long time, right? Uh, that's the case here in Canada. I'm sure it's unnecessary work to always clean the glasses each time. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, uh, you know me. It's a subjective thing. If 3D disappeared tomorrow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose one minute of sleep. I hate 3D. I think it's a useless gimmick. But... I think including people on this show, there are those who really like it and really appreciate it. So I don't know if this COVID thing is going to have any impact on whether they do 3D screenings or not. First of all, let's see if we get any screenings at all. But Rob, do you think if they we start getting some semi-regular screenings happening that we'll see the return of 3D? Or do you think they'll put that on the back burner for a while? 
I I can't see 3D. Uh, look, I, I love home 3D. I'm a big proponent of because when you have the right equipment, it always looks great when it's done well. I mean, unless James Cameron is the savior of 3D, I just don't see it coming back because what killed 3D was the projection. Bad bad conversions and bad projection. If 3D projection was as good as it was when I saw Avatar and 3D IMAX, I think it would have caught on here. But frequently, 3D was a, a not a very satisfying experience theatrically in America because it wasn't projected right. It was too dark. People couldn't see anything. The 3D effects weren't well served by the, the actual presentation. So I can't see 3D coming back unless it's without glasses. They figure out a way. I think James Cameron's going to come by. He's going to blow us all away. Whatever he's doing with Avatar 2, he's going to take the next leap in 3D technology. And and I think he will be the savior of it. If he can't, if he's not the savior of it, if he's not the Flash Gordon of 3D, I don't know who is. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I've been saying the same thing for a while. I'll get reinvested in 3D as a concept once they find a way to do it without glasses. Yeah. Uh, once it, I mean, they've done it on like their Nintendos a little bit on a small scale. We'll see what, what comes. All right. Dragonborn Druid writes, Umbrella Academy. I hated Allison's character in season one, but her and her husband were my favorites in season two. Also, just started Sons of Anarchy. Nice. And all I know is the kitchen sink scene. Dude, that scene, I will... If I ever make a list years from now that my top 10 most memorable scenes in a TV show, the kitchen sink scene from uh, Sons of Anarchy is absolutely going to be on it. Uh, not a biker fan, but I was hooked in uh, Breaking Bad after the opening scene. Dude, like Sons of Anarchy is in my top three favorite shows of all time. I was a little late to the party when it came out, but I got so hooked on it so fast um, it's unbelievable. And my wife got as hooked on it, if not more than we did. And it was kind of the influence at the time that, uh, our, somebody wrote, sent in a piece of fan art for when we were still at AMC, the sons of AMC biker kind of patches. And that kind of became our unofficial logo when we were at AMC for the longest time. But I'm glad you're getting into that dragon bar. And I'm glad you're getting into that. All right. No crying in baseball and wants to go watch league of their own sometime next week at the driving, by the way, no crying in baseball, John, I really liked Wilford Brimley. Uh, what's What was there not to like about Wilford Brimley? One of my favorite scenes was him as the Postmaster General on Seinfeld. Him chastising Kramer while Newman uh, had a bucket on his head was classic. He was such a beautiful soul, and he, <laughs> he had a great life. And he had, Rob, Wilford Brimley had one of those screen presences that was just, I don't know. The moment he was on screen, you felt like your grandfather was on screen. Like, yeah. you, you just trusted that character. The way that the way he's spoken, and, and you know, we, a lot of people talk about cocoon. Whatever I said on the show yesterday, Rob, when I think of Wilford Brimley, I actually my mind instantly goes to the Ewoks television movie and um, uh, uh, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. That's that's for my. When you think of Wilford Brimley, where does your head go to initially? You know, it goes to the thing because yeah, there's yeah. a there's a line of dialogue when he says, "Watch Clark and watch him close." Do you hear me? He like he, he the, the the me instead of saying me, it's like me. It's really weird, and I've always loved it. But I also think about he played the mafia law firm's fixer in the firm. Yep, the John Grissom, and I love that they picked him to do like 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 to do that. He's a lethal assassin that works for the mafia, and I'm like, what a great idea to put Wilford Brimley in there, or. In absence of malice, when he comes in basically for one scene and steals the movie. I love that, too. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a serious, serious loss. Uh, the loss of Wilford Brimley. But man, that guy was so great. Um, okay, wear a mask, writes. What was the worst Mike Myers film? Cat in the Hat or Love Guru? Oh, that's easy for me. Uh, I say Cat in the Hat because to this day, you can still hear Dr. Zeus rolling in his grave because of that. It killed live action Dr. Zeus properties. Well, no, I mean, that's that's to suggest that live action Dr. Zeus properties were kind of a big thing anyway, and they weren't. They never really were. Um, I got to go Love Guru. I got to go Love Guru because not only was it just horrible, but it was horrible with Mike Myers trying to do what he was really strong at because that movie was Mike Myers kind of movie, right? It's the kind of thing he was really good at. And that's what tanked and that's what failed. And, and that affected him deeply. And it's kind of what made him retreat away from movies uh, was the response to that. It is unfortunate, but because I love Mike Myers, I love Mike Myers, but that, hey, everybody has a bad day at the office and that was his, but he took that one very hard and very personally. But I got to say, yeah, his worst one was, was uh, Love Guru. All right. Movie Idiot writes. Hey, John, there is a great Superman documentary on the Warner Brothers YouTube page for that teacher who has been asking lots of cool other docs who do me a favor, movie idiot, because we've had a teacher writing and trying to find some good documentary stuff on the creation of Superman. Can you go into the comments section and leave a link to that? Because I think uh, and then we'll, we'll see. Hopefully that teacher will see that and be able to use that because he's been asking for a couple of days. That's great. If you were able to dig that up, that's awesome. Please leave a link in the comment section. That would be wonderful. Thanks for doing that digging movie. idiot. appreciate that, man. It's great when the film fan community can do all that together. All right, Darklock63 writes, Greetings, I totally agree with you on HBO Max. Had I known that Max was not on Roku, I would not have pre-ordered it. I would have waited instead. It's annoying uh, being required to use the Xbox, a Xbox app instead in being able to watch it. And Rob, that's the thing, look. This is clearly, I talked about this the other day, this is clearly a first world problem. I mean, obviously, this is a very, very definition of a first world problem. But the way we consume our media today is, you know, we don't want to have to go and switch between devices just to watch a channel. Like, right. Going all the way back to like the, the invention of remote controls 30 years ago, we've become accustomed to if I want to watch this channel, boom, just hit that button and I can watch that channel. It's, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be incumbent upon us as consumers to jump through hoops to get to the channel that we even want to watch. Right. And I so I and again, very, very much a first world problem that we're whining and bitching about here. No doubt about it. But uh, to me, it's still a thing. And I just really wish they had come up with a way. I, I think we'd see HBO Max much more adopted right now if we had seen this. Um, Rob, by the way, I haven't asked you yet. Have you gotten HBO Max yet? And if so, how are you accessing it right now? I have not. <laughs> I have not got HBO Max yet. Um, but I. I, I, I'm going to do it in the next couple weeks. I don't know how yet because I want to watch Lovecraft Country. And that's, ah. when, I'm, that's when I'm going to take the plunge. So uh, I haven't really looked looked at it yet Where how I'm going to do it. All right. Uh, next one up comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes, Hey, John and Rob, guess the movie. 
Uh, let me tell you, uh, let me tell it to you as clean as I can. We have 95 players here. Oh, I already know the movie. Uh, so accomplished as athletes in high school, what we gave them, uh, that we gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. NCAA regulations allow us, so this is Ben Burnside, allow us to dress just 60 for home games, which means at least 35 scholarship players are going to be watching the game from the stands. So if any of you has any fantasies about running down that stadium tunnel with your gold helmet shining in the sun, uh, you best leave them right here. Of you 15 dreamers out there, maybe we will keep one or two. My job is basically to beat the shit out of you for the next five days. And whoever is still standing in the end, maybe we will use you for our scout teams. You'll be running the opposite plays week in and week out. Greatest value to us is that we don't care if you get hurt. Our first teams are going to pound you like, you've, like you're their worst enemies. Uh, like what you hear so far. Any of you want to run to mama? Now's your chance. Joe, they're all yours. Well, don't just try to think. Let's hit those ropes. Come on, move it. Move it. Come on, I said, rub it. Move it. One of the most iconic kind of football movies of all time. Rob, I'm going to assume you know what we're talking about. Uh, Chant it with me. Rudy, Rudy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the chant. It's one of the great ones. You know what? Honestly, this is going to make me very unpopular. I don't uh -oh. love the movie. You don't I like love it. Rudy? No. No. Huh. I, I, I like it. I like it. But it's not one of those movies that I have to make sure every two or three years I go back and, and revisit again, you know? I mean, For it's me, that's iconic. any given Sunday. <laughs> mm. I really we do like any given Sunday. We fought for every inch. I uh I really do like that movie. I like that. But, but again, probably one I haven't watched in like five or six years. But, I mean, even though... It's a movie that I don't love. I'm talking about Rudy. Um, it's it's there's no doubting the iconic nature of it, right? Oh yeah. There, there's no doubting the iconic nature, especially when you get to the end of the film and he's running out and all. I mean, it, it's 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 completely iconic in many many ways. It's like there are a number of films out there that I that aren't my favorite films, but I totally acknowledge their place in history and how classic they are. You and I talk a lot about Blade Runner. I mean, I I'm not a big fan of Blade Runner, but there's no doubting it is one of the all time classic sci fi films. Sure. I acknowledge that, but and I think that's kind of the same thing. But it never really. I didn't like. I just out of curiosity, when's the last time you watched Rudy? I just just curious. You know, I watched it, it was on. I don't know where it was. It was some streaming thing. I watched it like a year ago. It was one of those things that popped up and I it was a it was a spur of the moment uh, watch because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And like there are movies that like there are movies that are burned into my brain that I, I can remember scenes and I can recite lines from. But Rudy is not one of those films. And I went back and I watched it again because one, it's a product of its time, obviously, but it is iconic, and I did enjoy it. I was like, I I like this movie, but but as I've gotten older, it's it it means less to me than when I saw it when right. I was. I guess I saw it, it came out. What year did it come out? Mid mid eighties. Had, had to be in the eighties. Yeah, I mean, it was it was. I, I I'm just trying to think of whether I was in high school or college. Um, let's find out. I cannot remember. While you're finding um, that out, I'm going to start reading the next question. While you October look up October thirteenth, nineteen ninety three. So it was. Oh, it was. I would. Yeah. I would have thought like eighty seven or something. Yeah, like that's that. what I thought too. That I'm thinking about, it, but no, because I was. I was out of college. I saw it here in L. A. And um, um, it's uh, yeah. I was a little older, so maybe it didn't hit me as much as it probably could have if I was in high school. 
All right, let's move on to the next one here. Tom Riddle writes, I would like to see new actors cast as Elrond and Galadriel. As much as I love Hugo and Kate, I see those potentially recurring supporting roles uh, through this series, and I just don't think you could sign them on for multiple episodes slash seasons. So if they do cast them, I feel as though it would would relegate those characters to maybe an episode slash scene uh, every couple of seasons at best. Whereas if you cast new actors, you open the door for a lot more potential out of those characters in the show. But here's here's the thing, though, Tom. They already know. They already know how much they need those characters. They already know. So if they cast, if they do get Hugo and Kate back, it's going to be because they already know they're going to be able to fulfill the obligations that they need to come in and play the character as much as they need the characters. Then they already know how much they need those characters and they'll be able to do it. Um, And they already know that, well, we need the character this much. And Kate says, well, I can't do it that much. And they'll go, okay, then we'll move on and get another actress. But if you see them cast Hugo and Kate, it's going to be because they already know that they're going to be able to fulfill their obligations. Uh, that's that's the way I see it, Robert, at, at any uh, point. What do you think about the what uh, what Tom is saying there? Well, no, I, I mean, I, I, I tend to, I tend to agree with, with what he's saying. I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with him. Wouldn't you? Well, I see. That's the thing. I don't think, I don't think there's any reality where they go. Okay, so we've they've already got the first season completely scripted out. It's all scripted out. We know how much we need Gladiel. Right. We know how much we need Elrond. They're not going to go. Oh, uh, Hugo, you say you can only do the first two days of shooting. You can't do the last the last two days yeah. of shooting. Okay, well, I, we'll just we'll write Elrond out of the last two episodes. No, they're not going to do that. So no, I think no, no, if no. They I, cast I don't. Them, I don't I, uh, look, but I do. I, his central look. As much as I think that Kate Blanchett and Hugo, we talked about this yesterday. I I do think that there is some value if those characters are uh, play a, a role. If you recast them and make them their own, like I'm a big believer of 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 having things stand alone. And I, I think it might behoove the show to cast new actors. As much as I'd like to see actors come back, I'd love to see Hugo Weaving and Kate Blanchett. But they're like twenty years older from when they played them in, in Fellowship. You know, yeah, but and, they're going to get caked up in makeup anyway. Like the characters no, are all caked up in makeup anyway. But then again, I mean, uh, how? Uh, I, it, I don't know. I mean, look, I'd like to see them, but I do think the idea of recasting them is also it's also something I. I think is is worth revisiting or, oh, yeah. or looking. I have no problem with it if they decide to recast. I have no problem with that. I'm just saying if if they do cast them and they agree to do it, then they've already agreed to do all that is needed of them to do it. So, right. I, so I wouldn't worry seven about seven years or something. Well, know. I mean, I mean that, but then any actor seven years from now is going to leave a show. But I mean, yeah, I think if they sign them up and they agree to it, then it's because. They already know how much their characters are going to be needed, and they agree to be there for when they're needed. And I don't think they're going to cut out parts of Galadriel or Elrond's story just in order to make sure we can get Kate Blanchett to show up in one episode, you know? So I just don't think... But, you know, if they recast, I have no problem if they recast. No problem if they recast whatsoever. The actors are there to serve the characters. The characters are not there to serve the actors. All right, let's keep rolling here. Uh, Major Tom writes... Hey, John, I'm excited to see Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I really am, but I'm concerned. 
The property is notoriously difficult to adapt to the big screen. The 1984 film, while I thought was awesome, bombed. There is a major uphill battle here. I know that Warner Brothers has plans for the Dune property, including a show, but I don't think it'll matter if the first film isn't successful. You're not wrong about that. Uh, I'm not saying that it won't be, but it's been 36 years since they last tried. I hope they get it right. Well, listen, Major Tom, Rob, you know, you and I say this all the time. Yeah, they do have plans. For this expanded Dune kind of universe. But as Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And if <laughs> Dune comes out and flops the way, I hate saying it, but the way that Blade Runner flopped, uh, Blade Runner 2049, if Dune comes out and flops like that level, well, you can kiss all those plans goodbye. Those plans are gone. But Rob, I know you are extremely excited about this film. There, there are some things to worry about. Which of those things are the ones that you worry about right now heading in? How do you think this is going to turn out? Well, I think the one thing I would say about Dune is that we live in a world now because we live in a post-Game of Thrones world. And, and having our political intrigue presented to us in a science fiction or fantasy context is much more acceptable to audiences. They get it. They understand it. And Dune is a story of political intrigue. And, and leaders rising and leaders falling. And I think the audience is much more primed to accept a Dune show and to and the movie itself to, to get more out of it. They're going to get it more than I think they would say 25 years ago. So I think based on the cast and everything that's going on, I think the movie is going to be good. I really, I really do. However, it isn't Star Wars. It doesn't have the action. It's It's not... It's it's much more thoughtful. It's much more intellectual. It's much more politically minded. So I hope – look, I read the script. I think the script was great. It's a great adaptation of the material. And yes, they're going to do a Benny Gesserit sisterhood show, which I would love to see. But if Dune fails, like you said, John, uh, we're only getting the first half of the first book with this movie. It's not even a whole book. Lynch's, Lynch's film in 84 tried to tackle the whole book. And uh, this time we're only getting half the book. So if it doesn't do well, not only are we not going to get another Dune movie, we're never going to get the latter half of the first book adapted. So there's a lot riding on this. And I think if it's not good, it's all going to go away. But I think it's going to be damn good. And I think the audience more than ever before is ready for a heady, uh, intelligent Dune movie. But Rob, I can't stress this enough. They have to learn from the mistakes made with Blade Runner 49, 2049 oh. with their marketing. The that movie marketing, was so horribly marketed. I, it I, was I, so ineptly marketed. The key art was terrible. I mean, I mean it was their just trailers, awful. The trailers for 2049 never gave you the remotest idea what the movie was about. Not Plus, the remotest it, idea what the movie was about. So audiences are like, why should I want to go see this movie? Just because you say I should? I mean, tell me, just tell me, don't give away spoilers. Just tell me what the movie's about. And they never did. And so audiences didn't respond. They've got to market this thing right. Yeah. And, you know, Blade Runner had a lot of, it's a one movie and same with Dune, where there's ideas within the film that they could hang a marketing campaign on. Like the idea about birth, you know, in Blade Runner 2049, mm -hmm. the idea that looking for this child, there's all kinds of things that people respond to on an emotional level. And like with Dune, it's like we're looking for a savior, you know, and are we going to find one? Is he the one? You know, all that stuff that you've got to, you've got to lean into what the story is about. But I don't think marketing departments really, they, they don't do their jobs anymore. 
They want everything done for them. They want it to be spoon fed to them. Marketers have to get they've got to get clever and creative and earn their money, man. And with Dune, they've 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 got a lot of material, but they could sell the hell out of it. But they've got to work hard. All right. Uh, next up, Babu Freak is life writes. Variety confirmed back in December that uh, Moifred Clark from his Dark Materials is playing Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings show. Wish it were Blanchette, but it's probably to save money. No, okay, so first of all, Variety can't confirm anything. The only people that can confirm something is the studio. Those are the only ones who confirm it. Variety, I remember this back in December, they ran a story that they said they had a source that Moifred Clark did get first of all we know she was cast they said variety said that they had a source that said it was in the role of galadriel however amazon did not confirm that nor did moyford clark nor did any of the people involved with the lord of the ring series so it was never confirmed it was never confirmed actually i remember that story because in that same story variety specifically wrote we did reach out to amazon to find out if this was fact they have no comment. They're not They're not saying. So, no, Variety did not confirm it because Amazon didn't confirm it. But they did have a source that said it. So that's possible, especially when you look at her, Rob. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of her. She looks like a younger Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Right? She does. She kind of looks like a younger Kate Blanchett. But the reason you haven't heard anybody else talking about it is because the studio has never verified that information. So it could be the case but no, it has never been confirmed that, that that's the case. It could become confirmed at some point. But as of right now, uh, that story has never been able to be confirmed. So that's why you don't hear anybody talking about it right now. All right, next up, Ivan Gonzalez writes, Hey, John, I just binged the Umbrella Academy and I absolutely loved it. It made me laugh and cry just like that freaking Ben scene. Ooh, who I know, right? Uh, just with that freaking Ben scene and Klaus with you know who just made this my favorite show and the ending, I can't wait for season three. Oh, and Hard Graves in the bar. Yeah, I don't want, I'm not going to give anything away about Hargraves. I'm going to give nothing away about Hargraves. But I, I you know, I, I told you the other day, Rob, that I'd like, wait till you get to the real Ben stuff. Like Ben, the Ben stuff is great. The ending of the, the series is great. The Hargraves stuff is great. Um, I'm so, Rob, I'm just, I'm personally just stoked for you to finish watching this show. I'm so oh, stoked yeah. for you to get through so we can talk about it a little bit more. All right, let's get through one or two more here while Rob is still here. And Anonymous Viewer writes, uh, I noticed that Rob was wearing a black pink shirt the other day. Is Rob a fan of K-pop? A fan of black pink? Being a fan of the girl group myself, I had to send in this question. Rob, I have no idea uh, what <laughs> black pink is. Uh, what what is black pink, and how are you wearing it, the it shirt? It is a K-pop quartet of 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 girls, and um, I I let's say I appreciate. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of K-pop as a genre, you know, like BTS or whatever. But I do love Blackpink. I love the production. I love the the well. Who doesn't like the girls? But I don't want to be creepy about it. But I, I like the, the they do a really interesting mix of things. Like you've got really great singers, rappers, and um, I it, 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 I Blackpink. When I first heard some of their music about three or four years ago, I'm like, I like this. Like what if in the if the I heard this in the '80s, I would buy 12 inch remixes of this by like Trevor Horn. And so I'm a black pink fan, although, you know, it's not like they're the most innovative group in the world. There's there's like a style, but but their videos they're I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and when I when I saw that you could get a cool black pink T-shirt, I'm like, I'll buy that. I wondered if anyone was going to call me out. I've well, been called out. 
people noticed. All right, uh, next wanna, up. Like, it's weird that a middle-aged white dude would be a fan of Blackpink. I mean, it could be seen as creepy. I, I, I Hey, listen, you can be a fan of uh, any artist that you want to be. It doesn't matter if the artist is young or old. But I, right. I, I, I like the, their music is, is both fun, but it's got a hardcore edge to it that I like. All right, Jordan Risley writes, Hey, John, you could say I have a soft heart, but I mean, come on. You have to say that Twilight is one of the best fantasy slash romance novels, uh, more so than the movies. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I never read word one of the Twilight novels. So those, those novels are clearly not meant for me in any way, <laughs> shape or form um, at all, considering the fact that they were originally, um, I mean... They're just not for me. Rob, I know you are more into novelizations and novels than I am. I, I, I've i never asked. I, did you read I the read Twilight the novels? First, I read the first Twilight. I didn't read the rest. You I did. read the first. Yeah, I did. I read the first. But, 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 but before, you know, it was something that was on the radar when it came out, like this new thing. And I, 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 read, the, I read the first Twilight, and I actually read Stephanie Meyer's book, The Host. And um, I, I didn't hate the, the Twilight novel. I mean, I understood it was a, a YA novel and all that. And I, I thought the, I think our, our viewer is correct. I mean, the relationship was great. It just, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't directed to me and, and it was not like, it was not what I, I mean, give me the hunger, Whitley Strieber's the hunger that the movie was based on. I, I would want something more adult. I thought it was too, it, it just, I, I, I think I had grown out of Twilight when I read it already right. but it was interesting to read i also read the hunger games the first hunger games book because i think stephen king wrote a review of it in entertainment weekly and i bought it and i devoured that book yeah, i, I liked hunger first... games i liked yeah. the book very much yeah it was great anyway rob we know you've got uh, work you got to do you got some editing you have to do so we'll let yes. you go and do that while we continue on here but rob in the meantime before we have you back on again where can people follow you and your adventures online uh, you can find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Find me on uh, Twitter at BurnettRM and find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. All right, dude. We'll talk to you again later. All right. Have a good one, man. Good show, dude. All right. Next up, we're going to keep things going here. Starscream writes, I just got finished watching my new TV series, Starscream, subtitled Transformers Siege for the Third Time, and me and my Seekers did a great job, despite Megatron's whining. Uh, it was a great also start of watching Doom Patrol Spectacular. Be well, love you, and Rob. Well, yeah, I listen, I, I liked uh, the War for Cybertron, whatever the new series is called. I, I watched all the episodes. I binged it all in one sitting. I liked it. I certainly liked it. The only thing Transformers-related modern that i liked more was the first michael bay transformers movie and bumblebee i like those movies more than i like this series but all the other modern transformer stuff i thought this was better than i didn't love it though and a couple of things is there's a few big major logic problems in it um and i won't give away what they are because i don't want to give away any big spoiler details but also i really did not like the way they handled optimus prime i did not like the character of optimus prime uh, and the way they used him, he was very wishy-washy and indecisive and, and soft and, and kind of incompetent in many ways. And that's just not Optimus Prime. But I, you look, but look, there are a lot of people who watch it and loved it. And like I said, I enjoyed it and I will watch the next set that comes out because they're going to do two more, two more chapters, right? I'm going to watch them for sure. And I liked it. I, I just, I was kind of hoping for a little bit better though, but yeah, it is what it is. All right. Jordan Risley writes, Hey bro, here I go again. Wondering what you have to say. Anyway, 
Who do you think is the most feared villain ever? I mean, Voldemort from Harry Potter is right there. People would not even speak his name. Um, I don't know. Voldemort definitely. I mean, we're not talking about greatest villains ever, but like most feared villains ever. Um, that would be one. I mean, Unicron would be one. Speaking of Transformers, Unicron like would have to be seriously considered. Uh, uh, Thanos. When you've got the Hulk laying in a heap, turning back into Bruce Brandon going, Thanos is coming. Thanos is coming. I mean, there's that. Obviously, there's Vader. So I don't know. Who is the most feared? I guess it depends on which writer you ask. The writer of Harry Potter will say Voldemort is the most feared. The writers of Star Wars will say Vader is the most feared. But I don't know. It's a good question. I think Vader's the greatest villain of all time, but Voldemort would be there in the conversation for most feared. I think he'd have to be in the conversation. I don't know that I'd give him that title, but he'd be in the conversation. All right, next up. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John and Rob. Uh, John, love your show. Uh, Rob, you're the man. I've watched you on and off for a couple of years and only recently became a daily watcher since COVID-19. I love your passion and your famous John Campier rants, LMAO. What drew me on keeping up with them as of late? Uh, I'm catching up, though. I want to hear your thoughts on what you think about Justified, uh, the effect show starring Timothy Oliphant. I love the show and all the great characters. I feel nothing has come close. Your thoughts? Never watched it. It's funny because somebody else asked me about Justified had it been no more than a month or two ago. And I'm like, that's always been because I really like Timothy Oliphant, right? I really like him a lot. I even like him in Hitman. I even like the Hitman movie. I love him. And so, you know, I've always heard <laughs> that Justified was really good. So I plan on binging Justified one of these days, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon, because like I said, I love The Reformer. I've never heard anything but great things about the show. Always heard great things about the show. Um, so, yeah, I want to check it out. So, uh, And, I've, you know, I've got people in, in the live chat right now saying uh, John would love Justified. I hope so. I really want to watch it. I dig his stuff very, very much. So, fingers crossed I get to watch it again, uh, hopefully pretty soon. Thanks for putting that back on my radar, Anonymous. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up, The Contemplative Imbecile. What a great name, writes, 10 years ago. I, I, I was sent to prison for a crime I didn't commit. I quickly escaped, and now I survive. This is an A-team reference. Now I survive as a soldier of fortune in the Toronto underground. If you have a problem, if you can find me, and no one else can help, then maybe you can hire the A-team, followed by the sound of gunshots. Yeah, A-team, man. I used to, oh, God, when I was a kid, Oh, when I was a kid, I A Team was life. A Team was life. Me and my friends would play A Team. Uh, you know, you know, and everybody picked who do you want to be today? I'll be Hannibal. I'll be Face. I'll be Howl Mad Murdoch. And if you know, our friend's sister was there, she'd be Amy. So whatever. But oh man, the A Team. Oh, I, I miss that show. It's too bad the movie franchise never took off because remember they did Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper, uh, Rampage Jackson. They they did uh, an A Team movie. Too bad that never took off. I thought an A-team movie franchise would be great, but never got any momentum after that one movie. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Biggs writes, Watch The Town when it first came to DVD. I love The Town. I remember loving it. Cut to today, watching on Netflix, and I had to quit 35 minutes in because I can't get over the bonehead decisions Affleck and Renner's characters make, hanging with hostages, shooting the guy in the leg. I thought those were great. I'm not gonna, Listen, I am unabashedly, I unabashedly love The Town. I think that movie's fantastic. And I love the fact 
<laughs> that these characters make these sorts of decisions, you know? And I thought that give, gave depth to them. It gave us a better understanding of the characters as well. I, I thought it spoke to the characters. So, yeah, I absolutely loved the town the first time I saw it, and I've loved it ever since. I still do. Ben Affleck is seriously one of the best directors in the business today. I really hope he gets back to directing very soon. Because, uh, you know, that We Are the Night movie, I thought that movie was better than people give it credit for. Not on the same level as his first three movies, but all of his first three movies were outstanding. Hell, he directed a movie that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Um, he won Best Director of the Year by the Directors Guild of America. He is amazing, and I really hope, 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 hope we get to see Ben Affleck in the director's chair again. Would love to see that really soon. All right, KW Garrett eighty three writes. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but I know it's a cliche thing, cliche, cliche to say. It should have been a TV series uh, for anything now. However, as much as I really enjoyed the old guard movie, it felt a bit rushed uh, with all the storylines and exposition. Wish we could have dug deeper on character back. I disagree. I, I completely disagree. I thought Old Guard was... It's not a perfect movie by any stretch. But as far as its pacing, I thought it was perfectly paced. I thought it was perfectly paced. And I love that as a movie that was clearly intended to be a franchise. This is clearly intended to be a franchise. I thought it revealed just enough and kept the mystery aspects just enough. You know, they shouldn't have had, and, and I think something like, I think it would have felt watered down as a series. Like, really? I, I think if you try to do this as an eight-episode series, I think five of the episodes would have felt like filler. Personally, I thought this worked great as a standalone movie that was also clearly intended to be a franchise. With the things they introduced that didn't need to be answered right now, they can be answered later when we do a sequel. And if we ever don't do a sequel, it wasn't really vital to this movie's story for us to address. So I actually thought they handled that really, really well. Again, I don't think Old Guard is a is a 10 out of 10 movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I quite enjoyed it. But as far as the pacing of it goes, I thought it was great, and I thought it worked perfectly as a movie rather than a TV show. I, I, th I think a TV show just would have been stretching it out way too much than it needed to be. But that's just my take on that, KW. I'm sure you're going to find a lot of people that agree with you on that as well, brother. All right, Star Wars Rocks writes, So it looks like Ryan Reynolds has just confirmed that he's in the Snyder Cut for Justice League. No, he is not. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds put out some tweets that were clearly joking. That was clearly joking, including a video he put out of his Ryan Reynolds cut of Green Lantern with Tom Cruise as Green Lantern. Hilarious. So, no, no, he did not. That was clearly in jest. That was clearly a joke. You're not going to see Ryan Reynolds returning to Green Lantern. I mean, listen, anything is possible in this world. Anything is possible in this world. So I'm not going to put $1,000 on it or anything like that. But, I mean, I read that, and to me, it was like, oh, that was he's clearly joking. He's clear, he did not confirm that. All right, Limping Buffalo writes, John, if when you woke up this morning, everything was the same, except you were now in charge of AMC, what would you do? Oh, just today? Well, I'd instantly cancel that ridiculously stupid Universal deal. Uh, I would also start working on implementing the hardest, the strictest safety precautions of any movie theater out there uh, in readying for reopen, uh, that would be where all my attention would be right now. Ditching that stupid universal deal and putting in place the strictest 
health protections and strictest safety procedures out of all the movie theaters. That would be my first order of business. Wouldn't it be great? Oh, I would love to be in charge of AMC. Anyway, Ready Teddy said he writes, Hey, John, if we're talking comedy movies that should have had a sequel, let's talk The Other Guys. Uh, how the hell did Daddy's Home get a sequel? And it was a turd to begin with, but no sequel for The Other Guys. First of all, you know what? I'm going to just, I like Daddy's Home more than most people do. I, I got to admit, I didn't like the sequel. I did not like the sequel. But I like Daddy's Home more than most people. And I'm going to say something that's going to be... I actually like Daddy's Home more than I like the other guys. I, I honestly didn't think the other guys was very good. The first 15 minutes of the other guys is great. If Dwayne Johnson and Samuel L. Jackson stayed in the movie throughout the movie and it was a, the movie was constantly, you know, Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell... You know, trying to match wits and comparing up with Dwayne Johnson and Samuel L. Jackson, I think you would have had a very different movie and probably a much more enjoyable movie. But after Dwayne Johnson and Samuel Jack- Jackson depart the movie, I, I just, I, I just didn't like it that much. I wanted to like it, but I just didn't like it that much. Not to mention, how did it do? Uh, let me just check here. The other guys, how did it do at the box office? I'm not. I'm not sure how great it did. Okay, grand total. This is an opening weekend. This is grand total worldwide made $170 million, which isn't bad. Except that it had a $100 million budget. So it probably lost a little bit of money. It probably lost a little when you consider taking the theatrical cut, marketing expenses, all that kind of stuff. It probably lost a little bit of money. Um, that's probably another reason. Uh, but again, just personally, I, I personally didn't find the other guys to be that good after Dwayne Johnson and Samuel Jackson left the movie. I always thought I always would have been down ready, Teddy, for a prequel movie about the Dwayne Johnson and Samuel Jackson characters. I always thought I, as a matter of fact, I remember there was a period of time that I was convinced the studio would do it. I really thought we would get a prequel movie to the other guys, but strictly focusing on Dwayne Johnson and Samuel Jackson. I totally would have been down for that movie. All right. Release the Lucas cut rights. John, my favorite thing about Solo is the hints at a Boba Fett movie uh, where they're all employed by Jabba for the first time. The trilogy then would logically then round out with a Kenobi movie where he uh, covertly topples Maul's empire. Is this now what the Kenobi series is? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I thought there was some minor alluding to, I never really got any direct, and this is just me personally from my viewing experience. I never picked up on any kind of overt references or like real heavy implications of of suggestions of, of Boba Fett and all that kind of stuff. So I just thought, honestly, while it was a movie that never should have been made solo, it's a movie that never should have been made. I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good sci-fi adventure space movie. I thought I, I, it was quite enjoyable. I liked it a lot. I don't, I didn't like it nearly as much as say Rogue One or obviously The Force Awakens, but uh, I thought it was a really good little movie, but I, I, I don't think that's there. I don't think you're going to see Maul in the Kenobi series, you know, we, and, and I've explained a thousand times why I don't, that doesn't logically make sense. I don't think we're going to see Maul in the Kenobi series. You never know, never know. I'm not saying I have any insider information that says that's a fact. I'm just saying my guess, just my guess is because of all the logic stuff and continuity, I don't think we're going to see Maul in it. But 
We'll find out soon enough. All right, next up, uh, Pablo S. writes, Do you think Warner Brothers is looking to recast Gal at some point because it may be a situation where she may not want to work with a different director? Uh, Thanks, good informative show. P.S. Christopher Reeve is the best Superman ever. Hey, I I have no argument with you. Personally, I think Henry Cavill's the best Superman ever, but Christopher Reeve's Superman is great. Um, Look, Gal Gadot is not in any position to make demands about which director she does or doesn't work with. Um, There's a reason why Gal Gadot... Listen, while she did much better... I got to give credit where it's due. She did better in Wonder Woman than I feared she would. I, I honestly was worried that she's such a bad actress that she was going to be a detraction from the movie. That wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. I thought she was serviceable as Wonder Woman, and I thought in the hands of the right director, it worked. And what I always said I hoped would happen has seemed to happen. As, as we got into Justice League, I thought her acting has even improved a little bit more. I think we're seeing her improve. The more she gets experience, I think we're seeing her get better and better. But there is a reason why she hasn't landed eight other high-profile or academy-level movies. There's a reason for that. Directors don't want to give her those roles yet because she's not good enough yet. But I think she's getting better. I do. I, I think she is improving Anyway, so somebody like Gal Gadot is not in a position to pick and choose which directors. You know, if she's in, if she's in a franchise, she doesn't get to say, "Well, I'm walking away if Patty Jenkins isn't the director." Are you though? And by the way, you know, Gal Gadot was signed on to be Wonder Woman before Patty Jenkins got signed on to direct the movie. You know, she was Wonder Woman before Patty Jenkins was there. So she's not in a position where she can say, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore because of that. And and by the way, even other actors who would be in a position like that, I don't think they would do that. You know, Um, if you sign up to be Wonder Woman, be Wonder Woman. She's going to be Wonder Woman if Warner Brothers wants to continue using her. Uh, So, no, I don't think they're looking to recast uh, Gal Gadot at this point. I think if they wanted to recast her, they would have recasted her years ago. So no, I do not think they're looking to recast her. I don't think she's going to want to get out of it just because Patty Jenkins isn't, you know, going to be the director anymore. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that at this point. So uh, my guess right now is no, Pablo. I don't think so. All right, Bojack writes. I won't watch a movie sped up, but I will watch a show like The Flash at 1.5 speed. With 22 episodes a season, it will help get through the season faster, and it's not like the dialogue is Shakespeare. Well, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> I can see how maybe some people, but look, I'll be honest with you. I think, honestly, you're just going to get annoyed trying to watch it at 1.5 speed. But there is an argument that there might be some people out there who if they want to binge through something just to get caught up, that maybe a 1.5 speed is an option for them. Maybe they wouldn't have watched the show at all because it's too much to get caught up on, but oh, maybe I'll watch it if I can watch it at 1.5 speed and get through it a little bit faster. I think there will be some people that do that. Honestly, I think you're going to start doing that and you're going to get annoyed as hell at it. That's why I don't think a lot of people are going to use it. I think some people will. I don't think a lot of people will. I know I never will. But, uh, but I firmly believe that people should have that choice. I mean, once you pay for the service and you've got it and you're at home now and there it is, if you want to watch it with sunglasses on, you should be allowed to watch it with sunglasses on. 
You want to watch it with the volume turned up to 10, then you should be able to watch it with the volume turned up to 10. You want to watch it at 1.5 speed, then you watch it at 1.5 speed. You want to pause it every five minutes for a half hour break, then you should have the right to pause it every five minutes for a half hour break. I got no problem with it. It's just not the way I'm ever going to do it. And I think you'll find, Boy, I'm just guessing, but I think you're going to find, Bojax, that you're going to get annoyed with it yourself after a, a, a few, of just a few episodes of watching it that way. All right, Drizzy Moose writes, Hey, John, if you could have a sequel that never got made, a sequel to Ben Affleck's Daredevil or Eric Banis Hulk, uh, love the show, keep up the great work, Ben Affleck's Daredevil. I actually, listen, I'm rare. I think Ben Affleck's Daredevil movie was really good. I said it. I don't just think it's underrated. I think it's really good. And I've always said this. I think if you took out that abysmal, awful, entire teeter-totter fight sequence, if you took that entire section of the movie out, I would be tempted to say that Ben Affleck's Daredevil movie is even great. But it does have that scene in it. And there's a really bad, awful sequence. That entire section of the movie is just awful. But so, so I feel comfortable. I have no, with no hesitation and no shame. I think Ben Affleck's Daredevil movie is really good. I enjoy watching that movie. I think Michael Clark Duncan is, as Kingpin is amazing in it. I think Colin Farrell is great in it. I think uh, John Favreau is great. I, I thought Ben Affleck played Matt great. I'm not saying it's as good as the Netflix series, but I really enjoyed it. So because of that, uh, I would say I would take the sequel to Ben Affleck's uh, Daredevil. All right, peanut butter on steak. Oh, that's going to become a thing now, right? Last week, somebody mentioned The West Wing. I can't believe I missed its original run, 17 episodes in, and it's great. The writing and acting, and with actors like Edward James Olmos and John Amos, adds to the great acting. I hope it holds up over the next six seasons. It completely holds up. I was, like you, peanut butter on steak, I was very, very late to the West Wing party. I was very late to the party on West Wing. And it was a couple of years ago. Um, I was, was like during one of the stretches, like I get sick about once a year or whatever. I'm kind of out of commission for a few weeks. And I watched the entire series of West Wing in just a few weeks, probably within a month. I watched the entire series. I could not stop watching it. It is one of the greatest shows ever made. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a top three or that it is the greatest show, but it is one of the great. It's in the conversation of one of the greatest television shows ever made. And Sorkin's writing, it was perfectly cast, memorable characters, great storylines. It was um, it was awesome. That show is awesome. I'm glad you're getting a chance to uh, jump on it now. All right, Bojax writes. I know you're waiting for a proper HBO Max app on Roku, but are you also against the idea of having the app uh, on your Android phone or tablet and just casting from that device to your TV? No, I'm not against that. I'm not against it, but you know, it, it, uh, it won't cast to my Roku. There's a lot of things on my Android phone that I can just cast to the Roku. Like the Roku will instantly play, like I'll be playing something on my phone and I'll have a cast option and my Roku will automatically flip to what I'm casting to it. I'm not against that. But from what I've read, that won't let you do that with a Roku. So I don't even think that's an option to me. Again, it would be an inferior choice to do it that way. I just want the HBO Max app. I want to turn on my Roku and there's my app. Click and there I'm in HBO Max. That's all I want. Is that too hard? I mean, every other service can do it. Why can't you do it, HBO Max? But uh, but it's something I'd probably be tempted to try. 
uh, if it were there. Until then, I'll just watch. Listen, I have the regular HBO app. I'll just watch HBO stuff for now. Uh, Alan writes, Hey, John, Rob, Rob's clearly not here anymore. What are some of your favorite San Diego Comic-Con moments slash reveals? Uh, things that stand out are Loki's speech, Glorious Purpose, uh, Batman vs. Superman trailer, Godzilla trailer, and Holland's response to Mackie during Kevin Smith interview. Hashtag Team Godzilla all day. I think, first of all, the, the lo- Tom Holland coming on screen, on, on, on stage, I should say. Uh, or sorry, I should say Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston coming on stage as Loki. I am Loki of Asgard is one of the great moments in Comic-Con history. That's one of the great moments in Comic-Con history. But there's a moment that I do talk about in my documentary. Uh, I won't tell you how much I go into it, but there was a moment at Comic-Con that kind of defined Comic-Con and I would argue was the true birth of the MCU. And that was them launching the first trailer for Iron Man at San Diego Comic-Con. That moment changed movie history. Um, nobody cared about Iron Man up until that point. Nobody cared about that movie they were making. Robert Downey Jr. was seen as a Robert Downey Jr., the druggie, the guy whose career is done and is over. Really? Him? And Iron Man is a B-level character at best. And Nobody cared. Nobody cared. And then that trailer played at San Diego Comic-Con. There's actually an entire section in my documentary about this, about that trailer. Um, So I would say that moment, Alan, that moment is probably the moment that uh, stands out to me. All right, Tristan Riera writes, so about baseball, haha, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Junkie XL uh, co-composed Batman vs. Superman with Hans Zimmer. Yes, he did. This is why I'm wondering if we would hear themes from Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. Just wanted to point out that since Rob didn't seem to know that, uh, I think he did. Um, I, listen, you don't need to have that composer to have those themes, right? Like, when John Williams is no longer composing the S- Star Wars movies, you're still going to get the Star Wars theme. At some point, you're going to get the Imperial March. Like, you don't have to have that composer to use that music. So I, I think there's no reason not to believe that we won't get that music anyway. But that, that is a possibility. Tristan also writes, one thing I was, one of two. One thing I was really looking uh, forward to was the DCU to be available worldwide. With the possibility of it merging with HBO Max, do you think it will ha- be able be available in other countries? How come streaming networks do not open to the world right away? Um, it feels to me that they are shooting themselves in the foot because a lot more people would subscribe and not resort to piracy to access content. For example, Disney Plus got available in France about five months after The Mandalorian was released. Well, part of, we've talked about this before, Tristan. One of the big things is every single market has its own hoops, licenses, um, rights agreements that have to be made. And the reality is that in a lot of territories... Disney Plus simply couldn't launch yet because they because of certain territorial rights, broadcasting licenses, uh, who's got rights to certain content. We're, we don't want to be able to launch our, our service there unless we have this content, this content, and this content. There's a whole mess. There's a whole mess of stuff that goes into it. It's not as simple as just a, Disney going, oh, uh... Let's launch our app and make it available everywhere. Great. It's not just that simple. Every single territory has its own sets of legal problems that they've got to jump through a whole ton of hoops. So they have a choice. 
right? So in Disney Plus's situation, they had a choice. We can either wait for a year or two to launch our service until we have all these boxes checked and we're able to launch all at the same time and we can make everybody wait, make everybody wait for an extra year or year and a half, or we can launch the service where we're able to launch it right now, including the U.S. and other territories. We can launch now and just launch in those other territories when we're able to do so. Personally, I think the right choice is why make everybody else wait? Okay, we don't have our our licenses worked out yet for Israel or Portugal. Okay, why make everybody else wait for another nine months or 14 months or whatever when you can launch in those territories now and then just get to those other territories when you can. And so I kind of agree with that, but that's why it's not just as simple as saying, oh, let's just throw a switch and launch it everywhere. Every single territory has its own set of complications, rights, licensing issues that got to be adjusted and worked through in order to be able to do it. And I think if you can launch it in certain places first, launch in certain places first. All right, listen, guys, that is all the time we have right now. We still have a, a few more questions like from Phoenix Arising and others. Don't worry, Phoenix Arising and others. When we start, when we do tomorrow's John Campia show, yours will be the first question that gets asked on the live questions part of the show. So don't worry, we don't have time to get to it right now, but yours will be first up on tomorrow's show. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campion Show, thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for taking the time to be here. Thank you to all of you guys for making this show a part of your day. We're very grateful for that. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in all these questions. Number one, because you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you also supported this channel while you did it. So thank you guys so much for that. Guys, please make sure to do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you. My name is John Campia. And until tomorrow, folks. Bye-bye.